Hey, this is Richard Cavill. Before we get started, I just wanted you to know that LLBL Gen Pro, the leading entity model designer for your favorite .NET OR mapping framework, has just released version 5, and it's got some exciting new features, like derived model support for DTO class models or document databases, real-time validation, one-click relational model synchronization, and much more. Read all about it on LLBLGen.com, and say hi to Franz Bauma for us. .NET Rocks, episode 1311, with guest Rocky Latka. Recorded Thursday, June 2nd, 2016. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, I apologize for sounding like Bosley from Charlie's Angels, but uh, I have a chest cold that is cramping my voice. Yeah, not giving you a break at all. But it's been a few weeks. It has. Yeah, gigging has been interesting. Um, <laughs> I presume you're not singing. N no, I can sometimes sing harmony. So Jay's basically taking my, some of my songs and Amy's taking a couple more. And even our sound man, Barry, has come up and done the Doobies tunes. So... Nice. Um, yeah. And then some we just dropped and replaced with other things that Jay can sing and Amy can sing. So, yeah, it's been fun. But uh, enough about that. Let's get to something really fun, which is Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? All right, well, this is show 1311. So if you go to 1311.pwop.me, you will see... The Verge has a story on Samsung announcing a massive 256 gigabyte micro SD card. Now that's micro SD. Micro. Not a yeah, I mean, a regular SD card is roughly the size of your thumbnail. Yeah. But a micro SD is like your pinky nail. Yeah, really small. That's and crazy. 250 bucks, so less than a dollar a gigabyte. So it's even cost effective, really. It really oh, is. Oh, that's still a, a buck a gig is still is now a lot. It didn't used to be. <laughs> yeah, it, it's now a lot. Well, for something that you can put up your nose, it's pretty freaking nice. Yeah. In fact, you remember that? You remember that bit? <laughs> I did that bit a long time. It used to be a gig you could fit up your nose. Now it's two hundred and fifty six gigs. That's right. Welcome to Moore's law. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I got. <laughs> Who's talking to us, Richard? I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> I grabbed a comment off of show 1156, the one we did with Rocky about a year ago. We talked about .NET going everywhere. That whole early stage conversation about the .NET core showing up on Windows OS X and Linux and what that really means. And, you know, we had a lot of fun with that. And, and we're going to have to revisit that topic because clearly, you know, things have progressed and it's challenging. No two ways about it. But this particular comment comes from Fabio Matsui, who is someone who's been on the show before. He's a, a not only a listener, but also been a guest. He's a right. great show, long-time listener, one-time guest, and a first-time commenter. I think Carl's idea to have Windows Phone run Android app binaries is not only brilliant, but very doable. I think Can so, Can you imagine too. Windows Phone running most Android apps as is? Be great. It would solve the lack of quality apps issue. Remember, we saw Microsoft run Android APKs at build. Right. Mm. They are taking advantage of the fact that Android is open source. Heck, both Windows Phone and Android have a back button. Yep. 
I've recently switched back to iPhone given the lack of cool new Windows phone devices and a lack of apps. Trust me, whenever I see iOS icon land, I have flashbacks to the Windows 3.1 program manager. Oh boy, I know. It's true. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you know what? I'm in, I'm in that, I'm very much in the mood of all phones suck at this point. I mean, I want to love my 950, but it just feels like such an orphan. Yeah. And, and none yeah. of the window, none of the Android phones make me happy. And, nope. and iOS is just a non-starter. So I don't know. I don't know what to do, man. I'm, uh, I'm lost in the wilderness. Yeah. It's going to end up being an Android phone, I presume, again. Probably. Yeah. Hey, Fabio, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media. We publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. And send us a tweet. We read them. Ha! Psych! <laughs> <laughs> now you're just talking crazy talk, Mr. Franklin. <laughs> All right. Let's bring Rocky back. Rocky Lotka is the CTO at Magenic, one of the nation's premier Microsoft Gold certified partners, dedicated to solving today's most challenging business problems. He is the creator of the widely used CSLA.net open source development framework and is a Microsoft regional director and MVP. Rocky speaks at many conferences and user groups around the world. Welcome back, Rocky. Great to be here. Thank you. Hey, before we get into CSLA, there have been, and Richard alluded to this, there have been some announcements around .NET Core and, uh, and things recently that have got some people's hackles up. You want to just briefly talk about that? Certainly, uh, although my hackles are are not particularly up, but I uh, I understand the frustration. Uh, what was like it was a year ago, right? We were talking about yeah, yeah. everywhere, and uh, here we are uh, a year later, and theoretically quite close to seeing .NET Core released, mm-hmm. and uh, and then all of a sudden there's all of this uh, um, you know reevaluation of strategy and and uh, you know, and, and and so if a fair number of people, including myself to some degree, put work into getting their projects and frameworks and tools running on and or targeting .NET Core, mm-hmm. and so all of these changes affect us uh, as a group uh, to a greater or lesser degree, um, so that's frustrating. At the same time, I look at where they're going. I mean, the the the, the changes they're making. Mm. Uh, selfishly, I guess, are ones that I approve of. <laughs> and, and so I, I have a hard time getting too bent out of shape because I'm like, you know what? I'd rather have them uh, deliver what I want and take a little longer than deliver something that's uh, frustrating and, yeah. uh, you know, and then have it quote-unquote on time. Right, right. Yeah, no, I'm, I, and I think generally speaking, culturally, these teams have slipped deadlines to make better product yeah and you know shouldn't that be the mark right i mean the the, the quality yes shipping is a feature there's no doubt yes um at the same time especially with something like this where essentially what we're talking about at least the way i see it is the future of .NET. Uh, yeah Uh, that's right they'd better get it right (laughs) yeah well the con then this the thing is that it is less expensive for you to wait than it is for you to engineer on a a cutback version of core i mean that would be the way they would make the deadline is they would start cutting features and Mm, then you have a a crippled version of core 
But too, if you look at some of the stuff that they're um, doing, it's things that, that in my view, they got wrong with WinRT, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, like like arbitrary, nonsensical changes to reflection. And I remember having that conversation with you. Yeah, and yeah. it's a lot of the messiest code in in CSLA.net comes because of that. And uh, now they're saying, "Oh, well, actually," and and they continued that poor, poor. I don't know if it's poor. I, uh, let's go with poor. That poor design uh-huh. of reflection uh, in .NET Core. And now they're saying, "No, no, no. We're actually going to normalize on um, the original implementation uh, based on the type object rather than the type info object." And to which all I can say is yes, because that means someday I can go back in, uh, you know, once I stop having mm-hmm. to support WinRT, mm-hmm. I'll be able to go back into CSLA and rip out all of that code that I had to write to accommodate, you know, uh, what are really unnecessary changes right. to a very, very low level framework construct. Yeah, there's it's no reason to be that upset that we're going to wait a little longer. I mean, it's got to be hard. If your rent money was dependent on implementing a version of CSLA for core, this delay would, would be more painful for you. Yeah. Yes, absolutely true. But, uh, you know, I've been in the Microsoft sphere for an awfully long time, and I've learned the, the hard way not to uh, tie my rent money to unreleased products. Right. Yep, sure. Yeah, you only have to make that mistake once. Then you just stop making that mistake or you're not in the business anymore. Yep. And current version of Core 2, and this came out mid-May, is RC2. Yep, that's right. So we're, we're, we're getting there. I mean, generally when they're talking RCs, they're, they're getting close. Hmm. Well, and, and this is, though, one of the big complaints. And this one I do agree with that uh, you know, in terms of having people's hackles up. Because by the time that they start calling things RC it ought to be locked in feature wise. Right. And so RC one and RC two are radically different. And now it's not even clear that the release is going to be all that close to RC two anymore. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so yeah, once so, again, the so naming, na- naming is a bear. I mean, we saw this with the ASP.net core betas too, where each beta rev where they were alphas. They were radical jumps every time. Yep. And, you know, whether they call those alphas or betas, I, I agree. They probably should have been called alphas. Um, but in the internet world, everything's a beta, right? Gmail yeah. was a beta for like, what, a decade or something? It was, yep. <laughs> so, uh, beta, the, the term beta has already been warped beyond belief. But um, the release candidate term, you know, used to mean something and I think needs to mean something again. Um Otherwise, it's it's uh, or or discarded completely. Well, you know, but yeah. if we're going to start calling things release candidate and then make these decisions that are uh, you know deep deep fundamental changes, I, that's yeah, yeah. I, I find that frustrating because you're getting I mean, back that, to this is costing people money, right? What you're really telling me is don't trust me when I call something a release candidate. Wait until it's actually final to start developing on it which is ultimately going to hurt Microsoft too, because that means people won't touch your new stuff. You're not going to have a story about what people are doing with this technology because they're not willing to take a chance on it. They can't afford to. Yep. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm running the pre-release versions of windows 10 because 
over the last you know, Windows 7, 8, 8.1, they've established a consistent track record that by the time that we're you know, within a, you know, somewhere around one to two months of release, it's stable enough to run on a real machine. Right. And, and Windows 10 appears to follow that pattern. And so, yay, right? Well, and that's I've, of- I've got a laptop running the fast ring Win 10. And mm-hmm. I have that machine just quit for a few days. Like it was not a happy computer. They've they've had a couple of turkey builds go through the fast ring, but it's oh, yes. the fast ring. That's, That's you know you, if you put that on a production machine, you know shame on you. I put it on a secondary workstation for a reason. Well, yes, I agree with all everything you just said, and I think it's a matter of timing. You know, Windows ten. Um, the next you know, anniversary edition is going to come out, they say, in July. So we're right. at, at most two months away. And so y- everything prior to now, especially in the fast ring, you know, we're, we're, we're agreeing to be guinea pigs, right? Yeah. Um, now we're still... And, and they on- are taking versions. It's a less tested version. And the reality is you're doing the testing for them. Yep. So yep. every so often, and this only happened a few weeks ago, I got a build that just hammered this Samsung. Like it was not a happy machine. It was running <laughs> well enough that when the patch came through, it was able to re- get itself happy again. But, you know, I wasn't on the road for that machine. My road machine, the book, is not on the ring. It's the yep. regular version of Win 10. So coming back to .NET Core, I, I think, you know, the, I think this is the primary sin that the that the team committed here is that they started calling it uh, by release candidate months before they were ready to actually be talking about release candidates and they should have stuck with beta um, and and we all probably would have been much much happier uh, just in its expectation setting now, I wonder if this is internal pressure is this politics inside of Microsoft that they were supposed to hit release candidates so they're hitting it perhaps I don't know the answer to that yeah I don't know either but I'm hoping that one of the retrospective items that comes out of this is you you have damaged the trust of a bunch of developers by doing things that we didn't expect in betas and release candidates. All I can say is the end result better be spectacular, like Android Windows phones. You know, there's got to be a really good reason for it. Yeah, I hope so. Well, I think... Personally, I think the really good reason for it is container support you know, both on uh, Linux, Docker, and also on uh, Windows Nano Server. That's a good reason. I, I mean, I, yeah. at the end of the day, and there may be other things, right? There may be visionary things that are going on inside of Microsoft that rely on it. But I think for most of us, the the really big thing is that now we can run real honest-to-God.net on Linux mm-hmm, right. in, in clouds or in our own data centers, and it changes the cost model. And it also changes the, uh, um, it makes .NET actually really, really open source. And so it, it changes that fundamental dynamic within the um, software industry. So people mm-hmm. that will not work on a platform if it's not open source, um, e- either they're honest and now they're going to look at .NET and go, hey, this is pretty cool. Or they were using that as an excuse to be a Microsoft hater, in which case now they're just going to be exposed as a hater. <laughs> mm-hmm, right. <laughs> but, I, I mean, uh, when I put my operations hat on, if you have a, gr- a robust Linux infrastructure, you know, your own private cloud setup, introducing Windows Server into that is a non-trivial thing. It's expensive. 
and time consuming. And it's got nothing expensive. It's got nothing to do with licensing. It's got everything to do with how do you monitor it? How do you manage it? How do you patch it? Mm. Like that's a lot of labor. And so the fact that you can come to my operating system, I don't really care what platform you're running under the OS. That doesn't affect me ultimately as a, as an ops guy. But the fact that it can run in my existing server stack, yeah, okay, come play. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about CSLA. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, exciting it's- times. Yeah, just this week, I released a, a new version 4.6.4 um, and has enhanced support for uh, Xamarin, especially Xamarin Forms. Great. And uh, um, the portable class library uh, that uh, Xamarin relies on. So um, basically every... Uh, yeah, after Microsoft uh, acquired Xamarin and, and then at uh, the Xamarin conference, they had just an amazing focus on Xamarin Forms um, and in, in response to its popularity. And so uh, it's absolutely got a lot of uh, you know, Xamarin Forms has a lot of momentum. And, and uh, so having as much parity as possible between WPF and uh, UWP and Xamarin, basically all the XAML-based platforms. That's been my focus over the last couple, three months. And uh, mm. um, so this is not the biggest release in the world, but it's really, really important because it provides as much consistency as I'm able to leverage um, across all the different XAML platforms. Right. Well, and it's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about because I've been afraid of the fragmentation of XAML again, the same way we had with Silverlight and Windphone and stuff between all these different flavors. So I'm really interested in seeing what is the common denominators. Like how is it feasible to write XAML in a way that's, that works well across those platforms? Well, not today. That's, they, they, <laughs> they, they really need to figure out a way to reconcile uh, Xamarin Forms XAML and UWP XAML in particular. I just wonder um, why they didn't, why they chose completely different names for controls. What was behind that thinking? I, I, we never asked them, granted. Yeah, that would be a good question. I, I can speculate. I suspect that they didn't want to run afoul of uh, Microsoft in terms of you know, names and, and legal issues. And I also suspect that because the uh, behavior of a stack panel versus a stack layout mm. are not exactly the same. They, right. Conceptually, they're trying to get to the same place, right. but they don't do quite the same thing. And so they may have consciously chosen to name them differently um, so that we didn't, as developers, naively assume that it would be yeah. identical. Yeah, that's probably a good reason. On the other hand, they're close. I, I look at it and I think, wow, they're close enough that I really kind of wish they would have just named them the same. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and you wonder if now that everybody's one big happy family, there's not going to be the great reconciliation there. Well, and there are lower level differences too. And some of these, um, I suspect exist because, um, as successful as Xamarin was, they're still, a, we're a small company and, yeah. And so their, their budgetary constraints are, uh, or were, um, stricter than Microsoft's, I would, I would tend to think. And so, uh, for, for example, is once you dive under the covers in Xamarin Forms, the way that they implemented data binding 
um, for their controls uh, is not the same and it's not nearly as powerful as what you get in UWP, which is not as powerful as WPF. And, and so uh, one of my hopes is that uh, what we will start to see is that some of the data binding uh, concepts that are really mainstream in WPF and UWP uh, make it into Xamarin forms because life without them, uh, you have to come up with workarounds. And, and the, the, the most notable one, uh, rather than topping, talking in the abstract, the, the, the single biggest one, I think, is that uh, in WPF and UWP, you can set different binding uh, sources or a, a data context per property binding. So each property right. could essentially gets its own independent binding. But in Xamarin forms, the control binds to one object and then the controls properties can bind to properties of that uh, binding context is what they call mm-hmm. it. So each property on your control can't bind to different uh, target objects. Mm-hmm. And so if you've got a case, which is super common, where um, I've got a control that binds to maybe a property value on my model or, or something like that, and then also binds to either other controls in the UI or my view model properties to get colors, or you, know, you, you can't do that. You have to create an abstraction object that, that uh, aggregates all of the different data values basically have to create a view model for the control is maybe the way to think about it uh, not for the form as a whole sometimes yikes or you have to think differently about your forms view model and have it uh, you have to tailor your view models design uh, to the limitations of the binding in xamarin forms so rocky this is probably a good time for us to back up a little bit and explain what csla.net is you don't really have to go into the history of it because, you know, the, briefly it was something that you uh, published with a book and it just became this free thing that you kept on uh, working on and updating. But just give us the elevator pitch as to what it is and why people should be interested in it. The big thing that, that CSLA exists, the, the problem that it exists to solve is that Typically, Microsoft um, and all these different cool technologies have not provided what I would consider a first-class home for your business logic. Right. Mm-hmm. We've got we've got great technologies to talk to databases. We've got great technologies to create user interfaces, and then we're just expected to th- somehow put our business logic in the middle somewhere and hope it works. The plumbing is there, but you're right. They expect us to write our own objects and, and, you know, do all of that middle stuff ourselves. And obviously you will, because, you know, that's the, the magic sauce of your application. Right. That's what we do. But you, you as the business developer, in my opinion, shouldn't have to uh, implement interfaces to support data binding. And you shouldn't have to um, embed WCF or web API calls or, or database calls in the middle of your business logic. There should be some clear separation um, and, and in better yet, abstraction so that you don't even have to deal with that stuff. Um, you should be able to sit down and, and define the properties that are are uh, relevant to your business problem and the business rules that are relevant to the 
the properties and the data that's in your object. And then that object, once you've defined that, um, ought to be able to plug into a WPF interface or a, a Xamarin interface or a web uh, MVC uh, server interface. Um, ba- basically, you ought to be able to run that behind all the different types of UI that are supported mm. by C Sharp or .NET, wherever yeah. it might be. Yeah. And that's that's what CSLA does. It it, it gives you uh, a wrapper, a home, a, a, a set of consistent patterns, and then a framework that supports those patterns for focusing on your business logic, such that that logic is reusable um, behind many different kinds of UI and on all the different platforms. Which, of course, now is a big list, right. but all the different platforms where .NET runs. And, you know, we should talk about some of those individual features because some of those are, you know, worth the price of admission, like undo, right? And you have transaction support. Yeah. So if you're building, um, especially if you're building a rich type of interactive UI, um, these days primarily with XAML, but maybe with uh, a lot of people still use Windows Forms, um, and you want to... uh, put all of your business logic somewhere that's not in the UI. Cause we all know that putting business logic, even validation in the UI is a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, so you, you want to put it somewhere that's, also, it's also a bad idea to put it in the stored procedures. It's yeah, usually is. Yes. <laughs> so somewhere in between those two things might be a better yeah, idea. Right. Some, Who would do that? I don't can't imagine. <laughs> So yeah, CSLA um, lets you create an object or class, and um, and it gives you a rules engines so you can implement all these validation and authorization and um, calculations, all all your business logic um, inside uh, a, a domain object, mm-hmm. and then when you bind that domain object to uh, now, any of the current flavors of XAML or to Windows Forms, you uh, inside the UI, so inside the XAML, for example, you can uh, easily uh, write templates or in, in, in Xamarin Forms, it's maybe not template-based, but you're able to uh, uh, bind your uh, UI to this, not only to the property that of, of the object that contains your real data, but also all the metadata, so you can... Uh, easily express through XAML uh, whether the property is valid or invalid, and if it's if it's invalid, it's uh, you can uh, easily discover and display to the user why. Um, and if the uh, property is maybe there's behind the scenes, especially in today's world, it might be running an asynchronous rule. Uh, for example, I type a value into a field, and um, then that kicks off an asynchronous call to my app server to find out if that uh, data value exists in the database. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. These days, that's always an asynchronous call. And so the UI can, for example, um, put a little spinner right next to that text field indicating that the, the whole app isn't busy, but that particular property is running something async. Gee, it sounds like Angular. It's <laughs> this is this is uh, Angular before before Angular. That's right. You were doing it in VB six. Yeah, I've been, yeah. This is uh, in, in fact next year will be my twentieth uh, anniversary year oh, for CSLA. Wow, so man, that's amazing. 
Ugh. Yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out what what exciting things to do in in uh, 2017 because so, of my uh, yeah. So um, you wouldn't call it an ORM though, right? No, oh heavens, no! It's not. It's it's in the middle. Shame, shame on you for even suggesting. No, no, no. The, re- the reason I brought it up. The reason I brought it up is because uh, I hear that a lot. You know that people think that without looking into it that it's got this back end stuff as well. Yeah, and I've well, had to tell people no. It's it's just you know your business layer. Well, I think it's because there's there's a lot of uh, thought out there that I go to the database and what I want to get back from the database are a bunch of objects. And then I want to bind those objects to my UI and call it a day. Yeah. And so anything that where where you start talking about putting objects between the database and the UI, people go, Oh, it must be an ORM, which, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. The problem with ORMs is that they're not focused on being a home for business logic, they're focused on mapping to and from database tables. And so if you can get your business logic into the entity objects uh, that come from your ORM, you're kind of shoehorning that in because the those ORM tools weren't designed around the, their basic goal is not to be a home for business logic. Right. Their basic goal is to abstract talking to the database. CSLA, conversely, its whole purpose in life is to give you a home for business logic. And if your model, if your domain objects happen to match the shape of your database, um, yeah, that makes your life simpler. But that it's really CSLA, the way I think about it is that if you um, paint a mental picture at the top, you've got your interface, uh, whether, whether it's uh XAML, HTML, JSON, XML, mm-hmm. whatever, right? Mm-hmm. You've got your interface. And then behind the interface, you've got some layer of code that's controlling the interface. It might be a presenter, a controller, whatever. Behind that, you've got some sort of business logic. That's where CSLA sits. Yeah. And behind that, you've got some way that you talk to the database, which is where an ORM sits. Right. And then, of course, you got the database itself. And so CSLA um, is very uh, synergistic with ORMs, but it absolutely is not one. Good. Right. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Uh, It must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to cough up a new joke. (laughs) (laughs) You can do do plenty of it. (laughs) Nice. Nothing. I got nothing. Not a thing. Nope. It's actually time to give away a music to code by complete collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, music to code by is a set of 25-minute Pomodoro-sized, quiet and groovy instrumentals scientifically designed by yours truly to promote focus. It'll get you into a state of flow and keep you there. .NET Rocks fans all over the world are being more productive with Music to Code By. It's really taken off. And see what all this fuss is about. Go to musictocodeby.net. Nice, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Ola Carlson. I'm Russia's Ola. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. And uh, Ola just won that complete collection, which now is 13 pieces. And uh, if you don't know what we're doing here, Go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .netrocks fan club. 
We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. Okay, Rocky, it's been a while. Your uh, wish list might have changed since the last time we talked. What would you buy with $5,000? I just ran across... This article, I think it was yesterday, the day before, Intel is coming out with a 10-core uh, i7. Wow. Wow. <laughs> cool. And, and so extreme it's... extreme uh, edition. No kidding. Wow. And, and then plus uh, hyper-threading, so it's 20, right? So it's, it's actually 10 right. real cores. And, uh, for, uh, I think they said the price was like $1,700 or something. Wow. Um, here, here and then, I found the quote from the Intel site. It's not just designed for multitasking. It's designed for mega tasking. <laughs> 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 and, and so you take that plus a high end motherboard, you know, the, the top end, what, uh, what is it? 1020 GPU or 1040 GPU, mm. uh, that just is coming out. And, uh, yeah, I, I think I could easily hit five grand putting together my dream computer right I there. Have some of that. Yeah. The G, yeah, the GTX 1080 runs about 1500 bucks. That CPO is about 1700 bucks. We might have enough money left over for an Oculus Rift. Well, Maybe. Uh, I was going to say, work. Rocky, you can't say HoloLens because you have one now. I, I know I do. because Rocky yep. and I did a Skype session with the HoloLens and it was amazing. Yep. Yeah, the, the, I've been um, passing the HoloLens around it, to uh, everybody here in the Minneapolis Magenic office. And, yeah. Um, it, it's just, it's so much fun watching people, uh, especially if they fire up something like the uh, Galaxy Simulator oh, or yeah. one of the, you know, it's just, it, and I keep taking pictures of people because it's just the expressions. And the, the mouth is agape. They're just like, wow. Oh, it, oh, it's wow. just amazing thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I let my dad try it. And, and he was just like, oh, wow. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. oh. Was, um, you know, he's always loved new and exciting uh, stuff, but he's not a tech guy. He, he's an outdoorsman. And, and just the uh, it just blew him away what, what this was doing. So I like to sit out on my porch at night by the fire with a glass of wine and pin uh, browser windows up all around me. <laughs> 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 you know. One on Facebook, one on Twitter, one on my email or whatever, or just things that I want to watch. Um, weather. I have a, I have a weather, uh, map, a live weather map pinned in my house right next to, uh, my, uh, mantle TV that shows our picture thing. So anytime I just pick up the hollow lens and look up and I see it. That's really interesting. Yep. So talk about the routine thing. I'm, I'm thinking about HoloLens for the outdoorsman. If we could make an outdoor version. Yeah. It only works at night. Well, um, during the day, yeah. the sun is too bright. You know, I remember seeing uh, a military application f with a firearm that had a, uh, a visor piece on it. So you could literally shoot around corners. Hmm. I mean, what if you no longer had to sight down the, uh, the down a scope? But they, your your gun had its own optics, mm. and you were just seeing them in your visor. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Makes it a little too easy to shoot a deer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Is it really hunting if it's something you can hit with your car? <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud. That's not right. That's not right. That's not right. 
All right. Uh, you Minnesotans, you hunt moose too, right? I've got in-laws that hunt moose on a regular basis. So, S- sadly, the sadly the moose population in Minnesota has been going down all of our lifetimes hmm. to the point where I'm not entirely sure they even have a season. But even when yeah, I was even when I was a teenager, it was uh, a lottery for just a few hundred uh, people to be able to hunt. Hmm. Yeah. So so no, we don't we don't have enough moose. Uh, we still have the in, we still have the lottery here, uh, and we usually get it's like I said it's my in laws that they live up in the interior that actually do the hunting part. I, I'm just a beneficiary. We we get our share a little bit of share of, of moose meat. Got the whole heart one time on a like a five year old male. Ugh. The thing's bigger than my head. That's a big <laughs> animal. Wow! And, and I turn I basically turned it into dog food. The dog ate moose heart for two months. It sounds like a waste of good heart meat. I don't know. Heart, moose heart is pretty um, gamey would be the nicest word I could say. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> it's very strong flavored meat, but the dog loved it. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, I realize CSLA has been around long enough. Didn't you write the first version for Visual Basic? Yes. Visual Basic 5, I think. Wow. And you know, Visual Basic 1 is now 25 years old this year. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah. We're, we're, we're getting old, my friends. It's been a, been a long time doing this stuff. Oh, yeah. Where do you see CSLA being implemented? Is it primarily just a regular .NET stack? Is there much interest on the Silverlight side or any of the other runtimes? Do people care about that yet? Well, it was extremely widely used when Silverlight was a thing. Um, right. Because... Yeah, we put in, what was that, 2007-ish, put a lot of work into, that was the first point where CSLA became essentially cross-platform, because that was also the first point .NET did, and that forced a a lot of really good changes to CSLA. Painful, (laughs) but but good. You know, a lot of product. Oh, yeah, absolutely right. And and so it was widely used. you know, now I think the big uh, holdup on the UWP side, because we've been supporting WinRT and then UWP as they've come out, uh, is UWP's not uh, not the particularly most popular platform for building apps yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be politic here. Yeah, that's yeah. No wonder mm-hmm. you're still at MVP. <laughs> well, well done, sir. Well, well done. done. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, they changed but, what Universal meant a few times, too. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, I, I'm hopeful now that Universal really means um, if I write a UWP app, it runs on my desktop, it runs on my Surface, it runs on my Windows phone, it runs on my HoloLens, runs on the Xbox. Um, you know, with, with any luck, this is going to start to, you know, it, I mean, it's a compelling story. And if you add I, iOS and Android to that list then it's an unbelievable story. Well, and that's where I, I got to believe that's where we're going. And I and the big think. hold up there is actually not at the .NET layer because for the most part, the, the actual .NET uh, API surface areas are pretty darn similar. And, and the focus of uh, not just .NET Core, but kind of the .NET team at the moment is this idea of a net standard uh, API surface right. that right. Is, is consistent across all these platforms. 
and um, that, that's one of the changes that's causing a delay. And that's and I approve. That's this has to happen. It has to be a top it's, priority it, to avoid a whole other set of problems. Oh yeah, right, absolutely. We we need a consistent uh, API surface that we know exists. Right. And then the other big one is the XAML differences. And if they can get uh, UWP uh, control names and hopefully you know, as much consistently as possible at the XAML level from UWP onto iOS and Android, uh, that'll be an unbelievable story. Sure yeah, will. It'd be wildly powerful. I mean, I and I don't believe in, and Carl and I do a talk along this line, in the right once run everywhere mindset per se. It does no, look like, and when you look at the UWP documentation, it does go into families. You have to do things for mobile, you have to do things for Xbox, but you can have a common code base across them. Yes. And and this is true for um, Xamarin Forms as well. Um, right. Their model is a little bit different, but it's the same idea where um, you're able to basically create a, a class of controls that are... Uh, from your programming perspective, feel the same, but they actually act different on iOS than they do right. on Android than they do on Windows. And that kind of abstraction, and, and even more importantly, the ability for us uh, w to build our own, um, you know, because we can't count on Microsoft or, or even the component vendors to solve every uh, edge case. So that model for has sure. to exist where where we can create our, our own. And, and um, especially Xamarin Forms, that's its strength. Really does that well. Um, they've got a that very you're able to punch down into the low level and do your own custom render, and then come back up and and live in the happy uh, standard render environment. Right. Yep. And I, it, it, to me, it harkens back. You know, you you, you uh, mentioned uh, VB from the '90s, and it harkens sure. back to a lot of the concepts that existed then, where there were. Uh, at least conceptually, developers that created these uh, lower-level components, and then and they were relatively few, but but critical. And then most developers were able to consume those components to be productive. And I think this is the same scheme that we're looking at um, here, where um, I, I don't expect that every .NET developer out there is going to learn how to create custom renderers for iOS, Android, and Windows. Um, but some will, and they yeah, will... If you got one or two on your team, and they'll do that. And everybody else will needed. be able to use the results in, in a highly productive right. way. Yeah. Well, you know, now yeah. there's the new Xamarin Forms has uh, the ability to just drop in native controls, doesn't it? Yes, I think that is one of the um, advances, and um, I, I'm still running on the uh, stable ring, so I'm uh, I haven't experimented with some of the the newer stuff that's about to come out. But yes, there's there's a whole bunch of compelling uh, Xamarin Forms features right. that are right around the corner. Yeah, it makes me wonder if you know I almost look at starting to look at UWP as the responsive web design for XAML Th that you basically, you like said, you're going to build a, a rendering solution for each device you expect your app to run on and it should additional devices be needed. You just deal with the additional rendering. It's like, it's, it's a relatively small surface per device. Although the piece that I haven't spent enough time on, and I think is, is a very important bit about this. That's better than responsive web design for that matter is the input side 
we have so many new input devices, the the touch and the gesture and the pen and so forth, thinking about how your UIs vary changing by changing inputs. Right. And and I think you know, on the other hand, the the web continues to advance in that regard too. Um, you would hope. But it it's definitely not a Microsoft has the advantage of that like they always have of being a unified vendor that's coming up with one platform to do this. Right. And and yes, mm-hmm. now they have to accommodate these different underlying platforms, but their platform is consistent. Whereas the web, um, I suppose you could argue it's similar in that the Angular team has to deal with Apple and Microsoft and Google um, because they're abstracting those too. But some of these services, especially around ink and voice recognition, um, really, uh, at least as we know it today, have to be implemented within the browser. And so I was just experimenting earlier today the uh, in the Windows 10 uh, preview release. Now Edge has built in uh, voice synthesis. Right. And right. which I, maybe you could have done that some way before, but it's, it's a whole different ball game when it's built into the platform and uh, you end up with the, uh, the same optimizations that windows provides to every other app now to apps running in edge, but that's only good in edge. So now Chrome has to do it too. And, and so, you know, so in Firefox, everybody else. And I just don't find a lot of people running Edge. Yeah, I was going to ask you, do you use it, Rocky? I do, yep. And um, and I use Chrome. So I, I switch back and forth. But I, I find Edge to be really quite good. Um, the big problem is when I'm using GitHub, I also tend to use a couple plugins. Right, that, right. Um, but now with the new Edge supporting plugins, with any luck. Wait, um, wait, I wait, wait, even... wait. What? Whoa, whoa. What? Yeah. The new yeah, that, but it looks like it's going to be the Chrome plugin model too. Yes, right. Huh? I missed that memo. Win- Windows 10 preview releases currently have a version of Edge that has plugins. Wow. And uh, yeah, so it's it's pretty realistic to think that within the next few months, maybe. So, so I would I would predict at least within the next year that most of the major plugins out there are going to be running on Edge, um, as well as Chrome. And did they just find that nobody was using it because of these things? Plugins are, you know, a way of life. I think plugins are, I think it's two things. A lot of people migrated to Chrome over the last number of years. Mm -hmm. And once you've got, you know, you understand how it works and, and its strengths and weaknesses, and you've got all your favorites and everything set up, why would you leave one browser, you know, you just stick with the browser, you know. Right. So I think there's a lot of that, just inertia. Yeah. Um, but if you are willing to change and try different browsers, then you immediately run into this um, plugin issue because plugins have become such a, especially for I think uh, people like us as developers, um, plugins are are kind of central to a lot of what we do because they overcome limitations in a lot of websites. Sure. Well, and and. I use a password manager, you know, I'm on too many sites at too many places. I want different passwords on all of them. I can't remember that much stuff. I'm smart, but not that smart. So yeah, password manager is not optional for me. Right. Same with me. And that's, uh, you know, and so I, I do a lot of copy pasting when I'm using edge at the moment because there is not yes. an integrated password manager. So no, and it, and that is a very unpleasant thing. It makes you go to Chrome pretty fast. 
Yep. So I, I use I I use both fairly equally. I probably use Edge more just for basic browsing because mm-hmm. I have it as the default on my machines. Yeah, it makes sense. Yep. So what else uh, do we have to look forward to in the new version of CSLA.net? Well, the other really big, cool thing that, that we've been working on, and Jason Bach has done pretty much all the work on this front, is the vis- when Visual Studio 2015 came out, it supported uh, or supports this idea of uh, analyzers. Mm-hmm. And so Jason has built a whole set of, and he continues to build more, analyzers for CSLA. So when you bring the CSLA NuGet package into your project, um, all of a sudden, um, the IDE is helping you not make common mistakes. Oh, good. So nice. there's a lot of, like I said, see the CSLA, um, is a framework that helps you, uh, implement a set of common patterns that help you build your business logic. But some of those patterns are things like your object needs to be serializable mm-hmm. or it needs to have a default constructor to make serialization work right. Or um, there's a certain way that you should be uh, declaring your properties so that you get all the benefits of the rules engine. And those are all conventions. And there's nothing or has been nothing to force you to do the right thing. And so... Um, yeah, you know, I give tools like snippets and you know code samples and uh, templates, but now with these analyzers, what happens is two things. First, when you open up your code, if it doesn't conform to these conventions, then you get either warnings or errors. And secondly, because of the way the analyzer system works uh, with Roslyn and Visual Studio, um, it uh, the analyzers do refactoring, so you can basically if, if you've got an old code base that doesn't conform in some way and you want to bring it up to date and the analyzer says, Hey, you've got you know, 800 instances of this problem. You can tell it to fix them and it will fix all 800. Wow. Nice. I mean, it's Jeez. just the coolest That's thing magic. in the world. It is magic. Yep. Yep. And um, it's just really quite amazing. And CSLA is now on GitHub. Well, actually, it has been for years, right? So you're just taking contributions. There's, I see a lot of contributors. Jason Bach is number two after you. Yep. And and then the third is probably Johnny uh, Beckham from Norway. Yep. Um, and Johnny uh, ba- basically is the author of the current rules engine. I created nice. the base level of it, and he said, hey, that's neat, but I could make it better. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah it's it's an open source in fact i i switched to the mit license earlier this year um, nice for a long time i had a, a variation of more or less a variation of the apache license but um i, I decided just to keep it simple and and go it's with simpler the, yeah the most common open source license out there i believe is mit and so i chose that yeah good well, it becomes the, okay, so licensing is no longer an issue, right? Like just, oh, it's MIT? Great. Yep. Stop thinking. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And right. What more do you want from a license? <laughs> That's right. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm giving you, giving this to you so you can do good things and don't sue me. <laughs> That's right. 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 That's it. <laughs> Simple as that. So are we going to see a, a core version at some point? Obviously, you know, going back to the beginning of this conversation, it's obviously not time yet, but is that going to be the next big move? Well, so I, 
did support core um, started last fall, I guess it was Microsoft did a really big push because RC one came out and they're like, Hey, let's get all the, you know, everybody. So um, I went through the effort of making CSLA support core. Right. And uh, of course now with all this, uh, you know, turmoil that's going on. Um, but yeah, I, I think the outcome of the turmoil, this is, this is the cool part. So Part of the the current release, the one that just came out this week, is using or supporting a portable class library, uh, Profile mm-hmm. 111, which is what uh, Xamarin currently uses. Well, it turns out that that is also pretty darn close, if not exactly the same as Net Standard. Mm-hmm. And wow. so, uh, once Core, uh, once they accomplish their goal with Core, which is to have this common API based on that standard, um, I may already be there. That, that's the cool part. <laughs> right, okay. Or, or if okay. I'm not, it's, it'll be very little effort to get there. So, Well, good. Well, I hope it works out in your favor, my friend. I do, too. For everybody's sake. Yep. Well, what's next for you, man? I'm, I have got a great summer plan, frankly. I'm going to come out and, and listen to your band, Carl. Yeah, that's right. If I can kick yeah, this yeah. virus by then. Yeah. Well, that's right. <laughs> You'd better. I'm coming a long way. Yeah, that's right. We're going to be hanging out. Richard, so. did you decide to come down for the sail fest? I'm not going to be able to. I'm I'm working too much. Yeah. Are you surprised? No, yeah. You're, you're a, not surprised. You're going to a conference in... Um, I'm going to ChefConf. Yeah, that's right. ChefConf. So, yeah, over on the, you know, the problem with me is I've got two sets of sponsors to take care of. Mm-hmm, like, yeah. I've got the Donner Rock sponsors, and I've also got the Run As Radio sponsors. Yep. So, yeah, I've got to go to ChefConf. I'm not complaining. Nope. It's Austin. It's going to be a ton of fun. Yep. But uh, I get, I'm going to miss you playing again, my friend. Oh, well, another time. There will be another time. Thanks, Rocky. It's always great to catch up with you. And thank you to all you guys, and, and thanks to all of the people that are listening and using CSLA. All right, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a dog.